Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Makai Becton, ladies and gentlemen. Human beings that large should not run as fast as Makai Becton did. And if you like people just abusing other humans, the Makai Becton tape is for you. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Quick pass to Crowder trying to get him out of space. Slows a tackle, and there he goes. Crowder, it's a foot race, and Crowder is in there. A 69-yard touchdown. Donald escapes, trying to buy himself some time. Fires, end zone, it's caught. Incredible play by Donald. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know and what? it's the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the playlikeajet.com digital studios. This is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at playlikeajet1. And it is the off season. We've got the draft coming up. Free agency is over now. And there's all kinds of chatter about what the Jets are going to do, particularly at quarterback. And I got into a Twitter interaction with somebody who I consider a legend in the sports writing field. And we were talking about Sam Darnold and what the Jets should do with him and some other things involving the Jets in the offseason. And so I said, you know what? 280 characters isn't great for this. Why don't you come on the podcast and we'll talk about it? So thankfully, he agreed to come on. I'm really excited to have him. He wrote a fantastic book. If you haven't read it yet, you absolutely need to. Brady versus Manning. It was a New York Times bestseller. Longtime mainstay with the New York Daily News. One of the best to ever write in the New York market. He also was there in San Francisco when Dwight Clark made that catch. An incredible moment. Can't even imagine what it was like to be there. Nowadays, he's doing a podcast on Tom Brady called The Goat. Mr. Gary Myers. Gary, thanks so much for coming on, man. Really appreciate it. Oh, thanks so much for asking me, Scott. How you doing? I'm doing great. By the way, I realized I shortchanged you. I forgot about Inside the NFL. I used to watch you on there every week. Yeah, you know, pe- people old say, so, you know, I used to watch you as a kid on Inside the NFL. <laughs> yes, I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, you mentioned the Dwight Clark game. Um, I, that was about one month into my job as the Cowboys beat writer at the Dallas Morning News. So they hired me. It was very odd. They hired me right after Thanksgiving in the 1981 season. They wanted to switch beat writers. And... Um, so that was January 10th, 1982. I'll never forget that date. And I'm sitting there in the press box at Candlestick Park and thinking, um, I can't believe I just walked into a job covering a team that's about to go to the Super Bowl. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I didn't even know the players yet. And uh, Dwight Clark uh, made that catch. And then the Cowboys had a chance after that to actually – uh, get in position for the winning field goal, and there was a fumble at midfield, and that would have made that Dwight Clark catch um, kind of a, a footnote to the game. And instead, it became you know, one of the main, most famous plays in NFL history, and uh, and I wrote a whole book about it. Amazing. It's like Jim Gray talking about being there early in his career for the home run that Kirk Gibson hit back in 1988. Sometimes these moments just come out of nowhere and it's an incredible thing to be there for it. Unfortunately, with the Jets, we haven't had that many of them. I guess the last time we would say there was an incredible moment involving this team was... LaDainian Tomlinson dragging Dennis Bird's jersey out to midfield before the Jets and the Patriots game back in January of 2011. But this has been a really rough stretch for the team. 
and we thought that that rough stretch was going to start to end when Sam Darnold was picked number three overall in 2018, and unfortunately it hasn't worked out that way. And you and I were talking about this over Twitter, and so I thought we could expand upon it here on the show. Mm -hmm. You believe that the Jets' best course of action would be to stick with Sam Darnold and either take somebody else at number two or trade down, get a bunch of extra picks, and build around Sam Darnold. And I wanted to unpack why you think that's better than drafting a quarterback at number two overall. So if you could, tell me what your thinking is there. Sure. Um, well, first of all, I don't even think they should stay at number two um, because – as we just saw with what the Dolphins got in that trade with the 49ers, uh, again, assuming there's another team that wants to trade up to get a quarterback, and you'd have to think that Atlanta and Carolina would be in that category. Um, I think the, the Jets could really come out of this with a boatload of draft picks uh, combined with the picks that they already have, Scott. And it would go a long way towards you know, building this roster. But just as far as in the, in the Donald, Donald rather, um, uh, Zach Wilson conversation, I look at it like this. H have we seen a lot from Sam in three years? Absolutely not. There was a stretch there towards the end of his rookie year that he thought he played really well. He started last season, the 2019 season, rather, with, uh, with Mono. And then last year was just a bizarre year. Um, bad coaching around him, no talent around him. And they have so much invested in him, having used the third pick in the draft, that I would like to give him another year to see how he can do with a real coaching staff, with an improved set of skill position players around him. And obviously don't pick up the fifth-year option in May. And if he plays great, plays lights out, then you try to you know get a long-term contract deal done with them. If you can't, then you can franchise them for a couple of years. But you know, most likely I think they can probably get a deal done with them because Sam wants to stay here. If he stinks, if nothing has gotten better with the change of coaching staff and the improvement in the in the skill position players, then you just let him go. The downside to that is obviously you're not getting anything for him, but I'm not sure how much you're gonna get for him now anyway. And the second part of that equation, which I think is really important, is I really do believe that guys like Zach Wilson come along every year. Nobody except the real college football fan had heard of Zach Wilson a year ago at this time. He was in a competition that last summer to be the BYU's starting quarterback. He wasn't even guaranteed of starting going into last season. So when people say, well, you know, the 2022 quarterback crop doesn't measure up to what we have now. Well, I'm going to say let's look back a year ago and how good did we think the 2021 crop was going to be. So things change so much during the course of a college football season. I guarantee you by this time next year, we're talking about a bunch of quarterbacks who have a chance to be top five picks, maybe a bunch of them that nobody's ever heard of right now. I just don't put Zach Wilson in that. I don't put him in the Trevor Lawrence category. I don't put him where Andrew Luck was, Peyton Manning, you know, a, a bunch of different players over the course of the years. I think he's a guy that comes along every year. And with the opportunity to see what Sam can do in a different environment here with the Jets and to get a bunch for him for that second pick, I, I really think it's an easy decision, but um, as we sit here today, a month before the draft, I think I'm going to be wrong. I think they're going to do their best to trade Sam and get something for him. And I think they're going to take Zach Wilson. But I, I think that would be a mistake. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. What do you think about the fact, though, that when you go back and you look at Sam Darnold's tape, especially this past year, and Michael Nania over at JetsXFactor.com has done a really good job of this. He's charted every single play that Darnold has made over the first three seasons of his career. There's so many instances where there are wide open wide receivers and Darnold doesn't even look, doesn't see them. And three years in, this is something that really can't be happening anymore. And you wonder how much of a jump he can realistically make because people will cite Ryan Tannehill. But Tannehill was maybe the 18th best quarterback or something along those lines. And he went from 18th to maybe 10th. Darnold, if you look at all the metrics, was maybe the 32nd or 33rd best quarterback in the league last year. If he makes a jump, how high of a jump is he going to make? He go from 33 maybe to 25, 22. Is that enough when you have the opportunity to pick a quarterback at number two overall right now? And you are right. Guys like Zach Wilson pop up every year. That's not to say that Zach Wilson is a dime a dozen or he's not a special talent, because I think he is. But your point is that every year somebody kind of comes out of nowhere. We saw it with Baker Mayfield. We saw it with Joe Burrow. So we could talk about next year's QB class being bad, but we don't really know that yet because, as you said, this time last year, nobody was talking about Zach Wilson because... He had had a bad sophomore season compared to his freshman season and certainly nothing like what he did this year. But I also think that you have to keep in mind with the contract with Sam Darnold, this is the last year of his deal. They're not going to pick up the option in any team that trades for him, and that's another part of the equation. As you said, if they hang on to him and he doesn't do well, he walks for nothing. If you trade him now, you get some value. But you also have the opportunity to take a look at a rookie who starts On that new clock, you have five years with him. Darnold, this would be the final year. And we just saw what the 49ers gave up to go all the way up from 12 to number two. Let's say Darnold isn't that much better, but he's decent enough next year that the Jets end up picking like 10th instead of number two. And now you don't necessarily want to commit a bunch of money to Darnold, but you would like to go and get a new quarterback. Now you've got to give up a ton to go up and get that guy, and you don't even know if you'll be able to make a move. You don't know who the quarterbacks are going to be in that class, as we just said. So sitting there now, if you like Wilson, it stands to reason as far as I can see that you would go ahead and pick him now and move on from Darnold, especially since Darnold is in the final year of his deal. I get what you're saying, though. In a new offense, maybe he can improve, but there was so much that I saw last year from him that just looked flat-out ugly that you wonder how much can he realistically improve. Yeah, he can get better, but is he going to get enough better that it would be worth passing on a quarterback that you really like at number two? Do you see where I'm coming from? Absolutely, Scott. And I think the whole thing really comes down to Robert Sala and Mike LaFleur, the new offensive coordinator, how much do they like Sam? Now, I've been hearing that they really like him a lot and that they think in the West Coast offense that he could really thrive. But you make a lot of good points. I mean, set, resetting the financial clock, 
is a big deal. But then again, if Sam develops this year, then you're not going to mind paying him. And if he doesn't develop, okay, you got to wait and see if you're in position to take a quarterback next year. But that's that's why it's it's all contingent on do they think they have something here with Sam? Uh, and if if the evaluation is there's too many bad things that they've seen that they've seen over the first three years, then then they they need to move on. I mean, they obviously know more than much more than you or I, mm-hmm. and and I guarantee you that Sala and uh, and Lafleur and the other offensive coaches have spent a ton of time since they've gotten here reviewing every play that Sam has been on the field for three years. And if they, they look at those open receivers that he doesn't seem to identify and say, this is not a trait that you can learn, that it's instinctive and he doesn't have it. And no matter how we coach him, he's never going to have it. Then, yeah, it's time to move on. Um, because I, I think Sam's biggest problem is, is seeing the field properly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I mean, I agree with you. There's been so many open receivers that either he's seen and won't, you know, let he won't pull the trigger on, or he just doesn't see. And, and that's a problem. But it's just not that long ago that great things were expected of this guy. And unlike some other situations, where quarterbacks haven't worked out, I think we can point to some circumstances here uh, that were out of his control that were really uh, impactful. And the first thing, obviously, is did he have a receiver on this team that could start for any other team or a running back that could start for any other team or an offensive lineman other than Becton, you know, maybe the first half of the season that could start for any other team. And I, I don't think the answer to that question in any case is yes. And then the second factor is you look at the coaching and Adam Gase developed his reputation because Peyton Manning threw 50 touch, 55 touchdown passes rather in 2013, I believe. And Gase was given a lot of credit for that, but it was Peyton Manning. <laughs> <laughs> And he already had a lot to work with there. And he got the jet job, I think, in large part because Manning gave a sterling recommendation to Christopher Johnson. And that that hire just always confused me why you would hire a coach who had just got fired and had a losing record over three years with a division rival. Adam Gase had exactly the same regular season record and playoff record in three years that Eric Mangini had with the Jets in three years. And Mangini got fired and they hired Adam Gase. It just didn't ever make any sense to me that this guy was considered, you know, one of these quarterback whisperers. Well, whatever he's whispering to Sam Darnold was the wrong information. <laughs> and, uh, and, and Sam regressed in his two years with Adam. So I, I really consider those two things huge factors. Now, the other thing is, is he, has he been through too much? Uh, is he carrying too much baggage now to make it work in New York? Well, my answer to that is I don't think so. Last year being a year that there were no fans in the stands, I don't think there was really any emotional scarring for Sam, you know, getting booed off the field every week as he might have been had there been fans in the stands. So um, if you could really regress and have a terrible year, the pandemic year with no fans – might have been a benefit to Sam because he didn't have to listen to the crowd and he probably didn't read the newspapers if he was smart. Um, so maybe last year is one that he can quickly push out of his mind. Uh, and now that he has a new coaching staff, there won't be a lot of similarity to the routine, to the meetings, to the message he's getting from the coaches. Um, I assume the Jets are going to use a very high pick in this draft to get him another wide receiver in addition to signing, you know, Corey Davis from the time. I just think there's enough that's going to be different that um, I'm just not willing to give up on him so fast. Now, if they had the first pick Scott and it's Trevor Lawrence, absolutely. But for Zach Wilson, if you watch Zach Wilson play, I mean, he reminds me of Sam Darnold. (laughs) 
he can sprint to his left and throw to his right. And, uh, and he's very athletic and I don't know. And he played against poor competition at BYU. He's a one year wonder basically. And I know we've had some of those Joe Burrow being the most recent, but um, I don't know. I, I just don't think he's on that level that I would give up on Sam quite yet. I'd want to see what Sam can do in these new circumstances. And I mean, I could be completely wrong, but I think I've seen enough football over the years to believe that there's been enough flashes that Sam has shown in three years to think that a really good coaching staff in this 49ers offense, which is very quarterback friendly, um, I think he could do well in it, and I want to see that before I give up on him. I mean, one other thing, Scott, they haven't even, this new coaching staff hasn't even had the benefit of seeing Sam throw one pass in person. Not one mini camp, not one OTA, nothing. And uh, no, no meetings yet. Are you ready to give all that up with the opportunity to work for a guy who obviously has a lot of talent for – to start over with a rookie quarterback. And this is the biggest decision that Joe Douglas has to make. And and Robert Sala, I'm sure, will have a lot of input into it. I think one of the major points of contention between the two of us on this topic is Zach Wilson, because I think much more highly of him than you do, I think. Okay. Big part of it, too, is that, as you said, one of the biggest weaknesses with Sam Darnold is his ability to read the field. That's not a weakness with Zach Wilson. He processes very quickly. He's great at reading the field. Also, think about the level of competition he was playing at. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of times, it just looked like seven-on-seven, seven, you know, a seven-on-seven seven practice. Uh, with, with the, the defenses that he was facing. So uh, when you guys are wide open, now I know Sam has missed some wide open receivers, but that's what's coming with an NFL pass rush, you know, coming down on him. I don't, I don't know that we can accurately judge Zach Wilson based on what we saw uh, this past season. But I understand people taking the other point of view, and I, I think it makes a good conversation. I think the idea that his receivers were wide open all the time is not really how it went down at BYU. There are a ton of times where he threw passes where the receiver was covered and he just threw it beautifully. I don't agree with him being classified as a one-year wonder either. If you look at his freshman year, he was really, really good. It was just his sophomore year where he trailed off a bit, and a lot of that is because he had surgery to repair his torn labrum. And as has been said, a couple of weeks before that season started his sophomore year, he could barely throw the ball 15 yards on a fly. So he had a ways to go to rebuild that arm strength, which I think he did, as we saw in his junior year. But it took him most of that sophomore season to really build his arm back up. The other thing is, I know he didn't play against great competition, but two things. First of all, Trevor Lawrence didn't play against a whole lot of great competition this year either. And Justin Fields, who had his best game against Clemson, was playing a defense that, even though Clemson's a high-profile team, doesn't have one draftable player this year. So I think you have to keep that in mind. And also the fact that Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, they were playing with much better players. Zach Wilson was playing with mostly guys that are never going to be in the NFL. So it kind of runs both ways. I get what you're saying. It's certainly a legitimate concern, but you have to put everything in context. I think part of it with Sam Darnold really is you have to ask yourself, is this a sunk cost? And you have to weigh all the pros and cons here that we've gone through talking about he's got one year left on his deal. He's been as bad as he's been so far. How much better do you expect him to get? And what's the optimal result here? Because as you said, if he's not excellent, then what do you do? Do you commit to him if he's only marginally better? Do you commit to him if he's a fair amount better but not amazing? What's the level at which you're willing to commit to him? And then how much are you missing out on by passing up on that quarterback at number two? How much do you like Wilson or Fields or Lance or Mac Jones or whoever it is that you like? So that's really what has to go into that decision. And I'm curious to see what they do, although as you said, all the tea leaves seem to be pointing towards Mm -hmm. the Jets going in a different direction at quarterback. But I wanted to ask you about the rest of the roster, whether it's Sam Darnold at quarterback or whether it's Zach Wilson or one of the other rookies that are going to be coming into the league. What do you think about what Joe Douglas and Robert Sala have done this offseason so far? Are you pleased with the moves that they've made? 
Corey Davis is one of those guys that uh, was very highly thought of coming out of college, and he was a very high draft pick. And then um, I, I would say he got relegated to the number two receiver spot uh, when A.J. Brown really developed in, in Tennessee. And as a result, you know, became a free agent. And um, whether he can develop into a number one receiver or not, as was predicted for him, I mean, I, I guess we'll have to wait and see. If Tennessee thought that much of him, they would have kept him. That's how I always look at free agency, that um, the best teams always find a way to keep their best players. And those that hit the open market were just guys they didn't want to invest in. So you're always, I'm, you're always getting somebody's, um, I'm not going to say problem, but you're always getting – you know, uh, players from other teams that um, that those teams just didn't feel they wanted to keep as part of their core group. Um, so in that in that sense, the problem was they weren't productive enough to get into that category. And you know, there's been plenty of rece- plenty of players in in that situation who have gone on to new teams and and become great players. And obviously, the Jets see that in, in Corey Davis. And you know, with Crowder and then. Again, I am assuming that either in the first or in the first round, uh, either with the Seattle pick or if they trade down with the, with the number two pick, I would think they're going to have to concentrate on, on on getting a a skill position player. You know, I forgot Mims in there, and he, he showed a little bit last year as a rookie, but just wasn't on the field enough to get a really good evaluation of him um, because he was hurt so much. But if he becomes who they they think he is good as they think he is, and they have two pieces there. I think any one of the top three receivers or Pitts, uh, the tight end who kind of is a wide receiver, but, you know, I'm talking about Jamar Chase and um, uh, Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle. I mean, any of those guys would step in and immediately improve the Jets' offense. So I, I don't think they're done yet in, in this, with the skill position players. And – that to me is where they needed the most help was on offense. I think the defense, you know, played okay last year. Um, you know, overall, I think the way Joe Douglas has approached this is um, just trying to get some pieces in place, um, complementary pieces, rather than trying to build a team around free agency, because you can't you can't buy a Super Bowl. I think that's been proven. Um, I think he's a big guy uh, he's big on developing a team through the draft building it in a conventional way which has always proven to be most effective you know with obvious exceptions that Tom Brady was the missing piece in in Tampa um but they already had a really good team in Tampa and he they obviously just needed somebody who wasn't going to throw 30 interceptions a game and and was going to be a leader and and set the tone in the locker room and he changed everything there uh, a quarterback is really the only one who can change the culture of a team, I believe. We see what's happened with the Jets making some big money signings over the years, and very rarely do they work out. So I, I think the improvement in this Jets team is going to come through the draft, and that's how Joe Douglas has set things up. Uh, with two ones uh, this year, a couple of threes, two ones next year. Uh, he's got the first pick in the second round. Uh, this year, so they have three of the top 33 picks, I believe. Um, I, I think that's where – I think we'll be having a different conversation um, two days after the draft, you know, in another month or so, about how we're evaluating this team than we are right now. This was just phase one of the player acquisition part of the offseason, and the way Douglas approached it, uh, without giving out any of these huge, huge contracts. Now, I think he would have paid a lot for Joe Tooney, um, but he got outbid or Tooney just preferred to play with Patrick Mahomes, which you can't blame him for. Mm-hmm. Um, but he didn't give out any outrageous contracts this time around. Let's flesh that out a little bit more with Joe Douglas. I know you said it's only phase one, but what do you think of the job he's done so far and what appears to be his general philosophy? And did you like the Salah hiring? It kind of came out of nowhere because he wasn't a name that was connected to the Jets much, and he had never met Joe Douglas before. 
So it was a strange move in that regard. Usually these guys end up hiring people they're connected to, but in a way, I think it was refreshing because you don't want guys that are necessarily just going to hire the people that they're already comfortable with. You want them to be willing to look at everybody and see who the best man for the job is. Whether Salah ends up being the best man for the job is another story, but I thought the process was fascinating, if nothing else. What do you think about Douglas so far and the Salah hiring? I love the Salah hiring. In fact, um, sometime in early December, I I tweeted something that he was a perfect fit for the Jets. And um, that's really before, you know, we got into the hiring cycle there. And the reason I felt that is um, I love his enthusiasm. Um, Obviously, I think he's a good X's and O's coach because the 49ers defense was was good enough to help him get to the Super Bowl uh, the year before without a dominant offense. Clearly, there was some breakdowns in the fourth quarter that um, helped Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. I'm talking about uh, help Mahomes come back from a 10 point deficit to win that game. But um, I thought this was an overlooked part of this. I thought. Practicing every day against Shanahan's offense uh, really gave him insight into how to defend it, but also how to run it. And I knew he was going to hire either uh, Mike McDaniel or, or Mike LaFleur as his offensive coordinator. You know, both of them were, both of them were assistants in, in San Francisco and that he was going to bring in the 49ers offense. So from that standpoint, I thought he got a really good education in the offense that he would want to run with the Jets. And then there was a late season game against Arizona. And the 49ers had been on the road a long time. If you remember, uh, they had to play the last couple of home games at least in Arizona. Um, So they're, they're stationed. It's almost like training camp used to be when teams went away. So they're, they're together for a month in Arizona. They're already out of the playoff picture because of all the injuries that they had, especially on the defensive line. And that 49er defense with nothing to play for, played so hard for Salah. Um, he, was, he was so animated on the sidelines. And as obviously, his players loved playing for him. And whatever message he delivered before the game, they took to heart. And... Boy, it, it just was refreshing to see a team out of it play so hard. And I, I thought that would translate really well to the Jets who figure uh, to continue the rebuilding this year and, and not really be a playoff contender. But the one thing you want to see out of your team in December is to play really hard. And I thought he was that kind of a coach. As far as Douglas hiring somebody that he knows, you know, co- general managers often fall into that trap. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that Gase pretty much hired Douglas rather than the other way around because Gase was with the Jets first and they worked together for a year in Chicago. And I always thought that relationship was overblown. I mean, how great friends could you be coaching one year in Chicago and him being in the personnel department for the one year, for one year together with Adam Gase? But let's just assume they were great friends. I think Joe learned his lesson. Again, not that he hired Gase, but I think Joe learned his lesson that working with somebody that you consider yourself close to isn't necessarily the way to go. And maybe there was another coach out there that he could have hired that he had a relationship with, um, but he wasn't as good a coach in his mind as Robert Sala. So I, I thought it was I thought it was really a good sign that, you know, first of all, he didn't hire Doug Peterson. Mm-hmm. Well, I know that he's friendly with him won a Super Bowl together uh, in Philadelphia. But I didn't think Doug Peterson was the best guy for this job. And obviously, uh, Joe Douglas didn't either. So I, I think that if there's one good thing that came out of uh, the couple of years that Gase, that Douglas spent with Gase, it was realizing that working with your buddy isn't necessarily the most productive thing to do. It's not, it's not a shortcut to winning. That It still comes down to you know, how good a coach this guy is fundamentally, how good he is relating to his players, do his players play hard for him, how is he as a personnel judge. Um, 
what kind of staff is he going to be able to hire? Those are the things, you know, what kind of motivator is he? Those are the things that go in to being a great head coach. And I I think uh, Douglas being around Gase for two years and seeing him up close uh, in that position basically showed him what he didn't want in his next coach. And um, whether Salo will work out or not, you know, who knows? It's always hard to predict what happens when a coordinator uh, takes that next step and now is in charge of the entire team. It's always an unknown. But if you were going to try to evaluate it at this point before he's had his first team meeting, I would say that I like everything that I know about him. I like everything that I've heard from him. I like what players who have played for him have said about him, you know, particularly Richard Sherman, who hasn't always gotten along with his coaches, you know, raves about him. So I think they got the right guy. And now it's just a question, as it is with every team, of the general manager providing the right players. And, you know, then let's go. Let's see what he can do. Based on what he's done so far, are you confident that he'll be able to add the players in the draft that he needs to add? Yeah, because I, I, I like rather than going out and, and not that anybody got $100 million contracts this year because the market was way down, but providing depth type pieces, guys who can be, you know, Bill Parcells used to call them hold the fort guys, mm-hmm. you know, players that can keep you competitive until you develop younger guys to replace them. So I think he's done a good job with that. Um, and, but again, we're going to, we're going to really judge him ultimately on, on how he does in the draft, because I know that's how he intends uh, to build his team. The, the Jets needed to have an outside pass rusher for, for a long time. I mean, I think, you know, Leonard Williams never was able to provide the pass rush inside or out that the Jets needed. Yeah, you saw what happened um, last year with the Giants. He had, uh, I think, 11 and a half sacks. Um, the, the Jets drafted on the defensive line in the first round for so many years, Wilkerson, Richardson, Williams, and, and none of them became the player that they – that they wanted or, or anticipated. Uh, Carl Lawson um, um, has shown the ability to get to the quarterback. Again, I, I think they're going to have to look to the draft to really supplement that signing, but um, he's a better outside pass rusher than they, they've had. I think you know Henry Anderson, who they let go, was a good complement type of piece inside to Quinn and Williams but certainly not an elite player. So I, I think Lawson is, is an upgrade on the defensive line. You saw what they did before the draft. Now we see what they do in April. And as you said, the bulk of the team is going to be built that way. That's what Joe Douglas has said from day one. The question really is, as of now, are we confident that he's going to make the right decisions in the draft? Some mixed results last year, although obviously jury's still out on a lot of these players because Gary, as you know, You can't always judge a guy after one season, especially some guys that were injured last year or were developmental in the first place, like Cameron Clark. They took him with the idea that he wasn't going to play last year. So we'll see where this goes, but it sounds like, if nothing else, you really like Douglas's overall philosophy. The question is going to be whether or not it works for him. Right. As is the key with any general manager, um, you can maneuver all you want in the draft, but then you have to pick the right players. And uh, obviously much easier said than done. Um, I, ha- I was not overly impressed w- with any of his personnel moves, really, other than the Becton move, obviously. I think they got their cornerstone left tackle for a lot of years. But, and, you know, it's interesting is that um, I, th- I think he was, he was either the third or the fourth of the left tackles that were taken last year or the tackles that were taken um, but, you know, so he didn't have his choice. And I, I think Tristan Wirfs in Tampa turned out to be the best of the bunch. But, uh, you know, Becton might be number two with a very good chance that ultimately he'll be considered the best of those four. Um, and he certainly got off to a great start last year before he had some injuries. Um, Douglas has the pedigree and the background 
you know, having worked for Ozzie Newsom all those years on, on how to build a team that can have sustainable success. But again, it's one thing having the formula and it's another than executing it. And this, this is a huge year for Joe Douglas. Not whether he keeps his job or not, because he's got a six-year contract and this is only you're going into year three. But this is a huge year for him because he has all these pieces in the draft now to try to build with. And I'd like to see him get creative with Seattle's pick. I think that's number 23. Um, maybe packaging Darnold in 23 to move up into position to make sure you get one of the skill position players. Again, that's if he's going to take uh, Zach Wilson number two. I thought, you know, one option for him before San Francisco traded up. And when I thought the 49ers were a logical spot for Darnold, I, I thought packaging the first pick in the second draft with Darnold or number 23 and Darnold to get to number 12 would have put the Jets within striking distance of, uh, of getting one of those four uh, receiving threats that I talked about earlier. I also think he has an opportunity here, and this would take a lot of uh, creativity, but it can be done, of trading down twice. You can trade down one with Atlanta, because uh, I think Atlanta does want a quarterback, and then you can trade down again with Carolina, uh, and Atlanta's picking fourth, and I think Carolina's eighth. You can trade down again and still get a receiver there, and you know, just think about all the extra draft capital that you can pick up by trading down twice and still being in the top eight. Um, again, that's contingent on them keeping Sam or perhaps having another quarterback in that group of five, you know, who they, who they really like. Um, obviously they're thinking about all their options now and um, we'll see what happens. Uh, Mac Jones is definitely a guy to, to keep an eye on here, not for the Jets at two, mm -hmm. but if they do, you know, have a trade down to say four or, um, or eight, if they happen to like one of these guys better than they like Zach uh, Wilson, uh, they potentially could trade down. But you, you figure that Mac Jones is possibly going uh, to the 49ers uh, at number three. You know, one other thing I want to say here, Scott, that I think is a really clear indication that the Jets are going to stay at two and take Wilson is if there are two teams front offices that know the Jets better than most, one is San Francisco because of Sala being there. And the other one is Philadelphia because Joe Douglas was in Philly for a while and has a very good relationship with Howie Roseman, the Eagles general manager. Well, I read, I don't know this firsthand, but I read the other day that after the Eagles traded down, it was because the only quarterback they wanted out of the group other than Trevor Lawrence was Zach Wilson. Well, so you had to figure that before he traded backwards that Howie Roseman called Joe Douglas to find out if he can trade up mm -hmm. uh, from six to two. And the answer clearly was no. And then San Francisco, before they traded up from 12 to three, if you're going to give up all that to trade from 12 to three, why wouldn't your first call be to number two where you have a relationship with the head coach? Well, despite some of the reports that came out that said that San Francisco never made an offer to the Jets for number two, I think, again, I don't know this for sure, but logic would tell you that's just semantics, that they never got into a negotiation with the Jets because when they called the Jets, the Jets said they're not trading out of number, out of number two. And that Salah said, well, if you want to move up, you know, look elsewhere because it's not going to change for us. Or if we make that decision, it's not going to be until a week before the draft. So I think in both cases, those Eagles and the 49ers were told that the Jets were staying put at number two. And if they're staying put at number two, they're not going to take a receiver. They're not going to take another offensive tackle. They're going to take Zach Wilson. Definitely stands to reason that if they were in contact about Sam Darnold, which we know that they were, that there would have at least been something said about the number two pick. And the conversation might have been, as you said, as short as we're not trading it. Go talk to somebody else. But this is going to be a fascinating thing to look at because, as you said, you have a situation where it's entirely possible that for the first time in NFL history, you could have quarterbacks go 
all within the first four or five picks. It's never happened before. And Gary, you've been covering the NFL since, as you said, that magical day when Dwight Clark made that catch in San Francisco. You've seen a lot. And so that would be something new. It'd be kind of fun, too, I would think, after all these years to see something like that. Gary Myers, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Love the conversation. I hope you'll come back soon. You've had a legendary career. Right now, though, you've got a lot of cool material out, especially that book that you wrote on Brady versus Manning. And as a spinoff of that, you've got a podcast going about Tom Brady breaking down his life and career. You call it The GOAT. So tell me a little bit about what you're up to right now and how people can interact with you on social media, get your books, and check out your podcast. Well, sure. Thanks for asking that. Um, on Twitter, it's just at Gary Myers NY and Myers is M-Y-E-R-S. So I'm always good at responding to uh, questions on Twitter. As long as uh, the people that tweet me keep it clean um, and keep it positive, I, I enjoy interacting with, with Jets and Giants and NFL fans. So I will always respond if, if people write to me. Um, my, my podcast is called The Goat Tom Brady, and uh, I started, the first one was posted in October. It was supposed to be 12 episodes, just basically taking everybody from there, from uh, Tom's high school career through his signing with, with the Bucks. And um, I have all this great audio tape from when I did my Brady Manning book that it really helps the book come to life, hearing Tom um, throughout the podcast and these interviews that I've done with him, I did with him for the book and then throughout the years. And then, you know, many, many other people that have been important in his career and his life. And then as the books got hot in December, they asked me, can I do a new one once a week that would be in real time, you know, based on how the Bucks had done the previous week and the game that he had coming up. So I wound up doing seven or eight more episodes uh, of this podcast and we took uh, the listeners right through um, to two days after the Super Bowl. And uh, I really had a lot of fun doing it. It was the first time I've ever done it. Um, so I wrote it and I narrated it and I picked out the audio that I wanted to pop in there at the appropriate times uh, during the podcast. So I think it's a really a fun list and not just for people who, who are Brady fans, but I, I think I had a way of doing this, Scott, that kind of told the story of the NFL over the last 20 years while I was tell, telling Brady's story. Because when you think about it, the first 20 years of, of this century um, have really been about Brady and the Patriots and now mm -hmm. Brady's here in Tampa. So it created, created a really good foundation to uh, explain what's happened in the NFL for the last 20 years. Um, and it's given, my, my Brady Manning book came out in 2015 and this podcast has kind of given it a second life. And lots of people have been purchasing it, which I'm, you know, appreciative of. Um, and it's available on, on Amazon um, uh, still. So anybody who uh, wants to get it, there's a paperback version out that I updated uh, after the 2015 season, after Peyton won the second Super Bowl and then retired. It's got a lot of the Spygate stuff in there that was occurring uh, the year before and right up until the point that I, uh, handed in the updates for the for the paperback. So um, I've done five books. That by far was the most popular of the books that I've done. And it was really a lot of fun to put together. And hopefully um, the next time you have me on, I can reveal um, the subject of book number six. I've been sworn to secrecy <laughs> uh, until they actually make the announcement in early May. But I, I think it's a fascinating book that I think we'll create some headlines um, and it, it, I'm really, it's different than any book I've ever written. Uh, I'm doing it in conjunction with a player uh, telling his story and it's, it's really fascinating. And again, I think it's going to create some headlines. 
That is what we call a tease and a well done one, That's Gary. Exactly what that is. <laughs> That's exactly what that is. Looking forward to talking to you about it when you're able to talk about the book and the subject and all of that, which apparently right now it's top secret, so I won't press you on it. But next time you're on, I can't wait to hear everything about that book. And I'm looking forward to getting through more of the GOAT podcasts. I've only gotten through about half of them, so I'm going to finish the ones from this year. But if you haven't read Gary's books on Brady versus Manning, wrote a great book about the Cowboys too. You can check all those out at Amazon and you can follow Gary on Twitter at Gary Myers NY. And you can give us a five-star review on iTunes if you like. It's an easy way to help us out if you like what we're doing. It doesn't cost you any money. doesn't take you much time, but it goes a long way to give us a boost. So if you could do that for us we'd be quite grateful and for the latest and greatest in new york jets podcasts you know where to go that's play like a jet digital and play like a jet.com hey guys it is ryan i'm not sure if you know this about me but i'm a bit of a fun fanatic when i can i like to work but i like fun too it's a thing and now the truth is out there i can tell you about my favorite place to have fun chumba casino they have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus judy was boring hello then judy discovered chumbacasino.com it's my little escape now judy's the life of the party oh baby mama's bringing home the bacon whoa take it easy judy <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.